There are lots of Pete's and lots of Mike's in this church, including the one I'm trying to wear, which I, I can never get this thing on. I, Doug helped me this morning because it was upside down and back to front. And I mean, I put my glass on this way. This, this thing goes the other way around and the other way. Anyway, I'm all mic'd up and I'm not going to peter out. Ha, ha, ha. Woo! <laughs> you are all very welcome. Great to have you here. You guys who are watching from far away, yeah, look, if you're really far away, that's fine. But if you're close, and if you get cracking, you can get dressed and come to the second session. And we can see your face and welcome you in person. No, we, we love to have you however you are able to be with us. Um, we are in James, and we've got this poster to remind us that that's where we are. Real faith for real life. And I was just listening to those motorbikes tearing past and looking at that road and thinking, man, we should be screaming down this road. The truth is we're actually walking quite slowly, and today we're going to go to this little lay-by here and stop altogether. <laughs> we're camping in one verse today. So, uh, oh, it's just me. <laughs> I want to see the second slide, please. Um, there we go. What do my words tell people about me? And about Jesus. Um, and that's a fairly simple, straightforward question, I guess. But if we go to the second one, which just has the introduction to this verse, because we're only doing one verse, we're going to break it down almost word by word so we don't get out of the lay by. We wouldn't want to rush things. So um, we see here, but above all, James begins by saying, He's about, about to do something really important, but it's kind of like he's, highlighting, he's this highlighting this verse, and he's indicating a change of pace. I want you to really pay attention. This is the most important thing, James says, I've had to say to you since we began. Well, I don't know if that's actually a true interpretation, but it seems like this verse is where James thinks this is, this is pivotal. And... As a result, I, I had a look at it, it's pretty short, and I thought, mm, well, we can get this sermon done and dusted in about five minutes and everyone go get drink coffee. And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, wow, there's a lot here. And actually, we could preach on the whole Bible here from this verse. We could be here all day. And it really, I, I started to really wrestle with myself. Uh, so uh, I'm preaching to you from a a place of, hmm, uh, not insecurity because God's in charge, but God's speaking to me and I hope he speaks to you. And I'd like to pray as a result, just to ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and to help all of us to receive from him this morning. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much that you've given us your word and sometimes we can do an overview of a whole book in one session, other times we really dig deep and allow you to just apply one verse to our hearts and our lives. And today we want to do that, Lord. So Father, uh, just as this is dealing with, <laughs> with the words that we speak, and Lord, that may seem quite simple, but it's really challenging. So Father, I pray you will speak to each one of us and you'll help us to receive this word with gladness and allow this word to reconfigure our lives. So Lord, speak to us by your spirit and by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Okay, so as I said, we have been uh, going along at a relatively slow pace. We took two weeks to do the last 11 verses, and we spoke about managing our money generously, and we talked about patience and perseverance, and we talked about the prophets and Job and farmers who have to be patient, and uh, today, as I said, we've only got one verse here, and we can have a look at the next slide. I'm going to go through this verse slowly. But above all else, do not. I thought I'd stop there because we all love to be told what not to do. And we are believers in preaching grace. And here I am saying, now listen, you sinners, do not. And then we're going to see what comes next. And uh, you'll all feel condemned and uh, I'll feel miserable. And <laughs> no, it's not going to be like that. It's this, <laughs> this verse really is going to speak to us. There's a feeling, I think, amongst a lot of us that, that James is more of an Old Testament preacher than a New Testament, that he tends to be quite legalistic and prescriptive. And I want us to remember, and I mentioned this last time I spoke on James many months ago, um, that he's the half-brother of Jesus. And he grew up with Jesus in the home, and he didn't recognize who he was. In fact, he and his brothers and sisters, I think they kind of found him a bit weird. And they were kind of saying, if you want to be something great, you can't do it here in Galilee. You need to get up to Jerusalem. And they were kind of ragging him a little bit. And James didn't recognize this is the Messiah, the Savior, until after the resurrection. And then it hit him like a freight train. And so you've got this guy steeped in the, the Old Testament law, suddenly exposed to the Savior who he's been looking at all his life up until now and he didn't recognize him. And there are lots of people. I, I went for 25 years uh, hearing about Jesus now and then and not recognizing him. So we, we've got this guy who can appear quite legalistic, but actually when you look at his words, you find that he's preaching out of Jesus, he preaches more than anyone else in the New Testament the teaching of Jesus. He doesn't do it by direct quotation, but you can recognize Jesus in, in so much of this letter. So it's not legalistic. It, it comes from the brother of the one who died to save us and set us free from the curse of the law. And the curse of the law was death, and death came because of sin. And Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. So um, it, it's, uh, it's not going to be as bad as you thought. <laughs> okay, next slide. Now he really gets going. Ah, above all, my brethren, do not swear. Okay, right. <laughs> A couple of people saying, ouch, already. <laughs> so my son... Uh, Ran a, a football team, I think it was in the Mutsepi League. Uh, he's got a, a, an academy, uh, and they take youngsters, and they train them up. And they were doing quite well, but struggling with all the corruption in the league. But anyway, on this one occasion, they went up and played in Limpopo against another team. And one of their previous coaches was there. And this guy was quite renowned for his um, colorful language. And uh, he would um, train these boys using quite a few adjectives and verbs and things that were not really part of a Christian environment. And 
this one kid who came from the townships really identified with this coach, and he didn't know he was going to be there, and he arrives at the, at the grounds in Limpopo, and there this guy is. And he just looked at him, and, he, and I won't tell you his name, but he said, Coach so-and-so, swear me out. <laughs> and my son heard this, and he thought, what? And he just, he identified with this guy's language. He grew up in that environment. And uh, during our prayer time today, uh, there was this thought that came across that this message needs to be for those who've been around a long time and maybe think they've got these things sorted out. And not just for those who still let rip with the odd bad word. Uh, in Gweru, we had a, a lady who had been a striptease artist and done cabaret all over the place, and she got miraculously saved um, just after marrying her seventh husband. I think it was seven. And uh, she came to the ladies' Bible study, and she let rip with one, and all the ladies went, oh, oh. <laughs> and my father-in-law just carried on. She said, I'm so sorry, Pastor. But you see, uh, when you come from that environment into a, a church environment, you're very aware. But as we go on, we maybe get less aware. And I was just thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? When I first got saved, I was uh, working on a mine where they don't have many adjectives, uh, verbs and Adverbs, <laughs> limited uh, vocabulary. They spoke Afrikaans, but that was irrelevant because there were only three or four words in the dictionary. And I learned them all quite quickly because I had to know what was going on. And then I went from there into the army for about six months. And the language there can be quite interesting. And I became very aware in both of those places of not being a part of that. Because I was, I was a brand new Christian, but I knew that's not how I'm supposed to be. As we get on in life, we may not be doing those things, but we maybe are less sensitive to God's instruction because we think we've got it all together. And that's what I've been kind of wrestling with during this week. So um, I just want to tell you another story, and that, that's about my, my mother-in-law's crèche. Uh, this last week was the anniversary of her death a year ago. And uh, she, she had all these little kids three, four, five-year-olds uh, in this daycare, nursery, crèche, they called it. And every now and then, one of those little ones would let rip with a four-letter word. And there was a routine when that happened. Straight off to the bathroom, wash out your mouth with soap. And uh, that, that uh, was supposed to fix the problem. But the other interesting thing it did was it made the staff there aware of the kind of home that kid came from or the kind of big brothers he had. <laughs> and the question we're kind of asking today is, um, what do people hear when you speak? Uh, have you washed out your mouth with soap? Uh, no, actually, we're not, we're not on you today. We're, we're on to God and what he's requiring of us. So what do people think about your father when they hear you speaking? And I'm not talking about your earthly father talking about your heavenly father because this is kind of what this is all about we need to speak the language of heaven so um okay let's let's get to the whole verse and let's read through it because uh it changes tack here because it's not really about swearing as we know it at all but above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no no lest you fall into judgment. 
Okay, so that is the whole verse. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. Well done, Ty. Great chorus for this particular verse. Well, this, yeah, this particular verse. So, what are we seeing here? This business about swearing, first of all, it's not swearing like Coach so-and-so did. This is talking about swearing oaths. We see here, do not swear by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. This is talking about that serious kind of swearing that was very common in the Old Testament. When uh, God made oaths whenever he made a covenant, and the people, when they really wanted to take something seriously and commit themselves to something, they would swear an oath. And isn't it interesting how the world's system, and particularly the world's vocabulary, takes these very strong and holy words and converts them into something nasty, ugly. And so that when I say to you, do not swear, you immediately think of four-letter words. And that's not how it was at the time this was written. So straight away, we, are rea we realize that our culture, our context, handicaps us. Because we read these things without fully grasping what's being said. So uh, I want us to kind of reset our, um, our minds, I guess. And today's goal is to find out why does James rate this one sentence far above the other pearls of wisdom that he's been giving us on this journey that we've been traveling. And as I've said, James is not talking about bad language. He's not going back to the unruliness of the tongue that he spoke about previously. He's talking about this very serious thing where God's people come to him and they, they make an oath. And in fact, James says, don't do it. Oaths are reserved primarily for God. And if we are going to make anything like an oath, we need to be very, very serious about this. So this is not your everyday four-letter swearing. This is making serious promises. And it's something that God does as an example for us. It's something that we should be careful about. And as we've seen here, rather than invoking God or some other higher authority to back up my words, just say yes or no. Don't complicate it by getting other people or places or whatever involved. Okay, so there's a problem with oaths in our mouths. They're okay in God's mouth. So what, what James is doing, he's, he's, he's addressing oath swearing, not the world's kind of swearing. And he's encouraging us to be careful and simple in the use of words. Just say yes or no. Don't invoke some backup from outside to add more weight to your word. Because um, swearing by my mother's grave doesn't actually help me to keep my promise. I'm still sinful me, and I'm going to trip up every now and then. So uh, swearing an oath to make it somehow stronger doesn't work. And in fact, it brings us into greater condemnation. So... Uh, I just want us to, to understand that we're talking about the environment we're living in. Uh, we get it every day on the news, and it doesn't matter which politician is speaking. Man, they're all telling lies. Well, maybe not all of them, but most of the time, most of them are telling lies. Um, and what they have is they all have a spin doctor these days. 
Don't you love that word? A doctor. I mean, doctors are here to bring health and wholeness. And these doctors take my words and they massage them to make them more comfortable. And so when I mess up, I get a spin doctor and he comes and corrects things. And, and it's just reformatting the lies, isn't it? And the world is just so full of this. But Jesus warned us, in the world you're going to have tribulation. It's not going to be easy out there, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's what he wants to help us to do. So we're in this culture that is full of dishonesty, but we are not of it. Okay, the problem is we live in this culture and we can get caught up in this practice. One of the reasons this was such a hard week for me is I'm a big picture visionary kind of person. And uh, if I have any faults, um, one small one might be to exaggerate a bit. <laughs> when Viv heard I was doing this, this message, she laughed because she knows what I'm like. And that sometimes I, um, yeah, I, I stretch the truth and expand it to make the vision bigger, but actually I get into trouble quite often. <laughs> so uh, we all have to watch our words and make sure that we are we're speaking appropriately. And the danger when we, yeah, when we, when we don't speak the full truth, when we, when we get into the world's mode of speaking, we actually begin to believe it. And we get caught up in the world's lies. And we find ourselves saying and doing things that are actually not what we want to be doing at all. So, where does this important verse come from? James is referencing the teaching of Jesus. I said that already. And Jesus uh, was teaching the scribes and the Pharisees and the fact that they have devalued the whole concept of oaths. And so we're going to go to some of Jesus' words just now. Um, he really helps us to get through this and to understand it better. Just to say that, uh, and remind us again that God is not against the concept of oaths because he makes oaths. But he's a little bit careful about us swearing oaths because we tend to get ourselves in trouble. So an oath is a very high and holy thing. And we, if, we, if we do swear an oath, and there are, I think, maybe times when we do, but actually it's better just to say yes or no. Because anything else is going to get us into trouble. So let's, let's go to, to Jesus' teaching uh, on this issue and that's Matthew chapter 5 verse 33 to 36 and I've just highlighted some of the the words of Jesus in these verses he says you shall not swear falsely ha huh, hello James but shall perform your oath to the Lord but I say to you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it is God's throne nor by the earth for it is the foot is his footstool nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. So Jesus is saying, you can swear by anything in creation, or even man-made like the temple, and it doesn't change you. The fact that you back up your oath with the temple or heaven or earth doesn't change things. And when God swears, he swears by himself because there's no higher authority. And when he swears an oath, he keeps and fulfills it. And that is the good, good news, isn't it? He is totally reliable, totally trustworthy. And 
what, what I'm saying to us today, and, and this is the great thing about it, I'm not saying to you, now, do not swear. I'm saying, be confident in the word of God and the oaths that he swears. Because in those, we can have complete confidence. And we can stand washed by the blood of Jesus, loved by our Heavenly Father, under His grace. So, um, it comes across quite Old Testament, but actually when you look at this, He's just saying what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying to us is, don't, don't try and back up your words with false um, hope that you're going to do better if you add these, um, these things that you swear by. Okay, so the problem is, or problem was with them, they were very quick to swear oaths. And they would swear by the temple, they would swear by all sorts of things, um, but then they couldn't keep their oaths. And so you've got this hypocrisy. Okay, and uh, what is so interesting is, is that verse we read, the verse we're dealing with today, the last verse speaks about us ending up in judgment or condemnation, and some versions it says hypocrisy. The, the Greek word is uh, hypocrisis, which is where hypocrisy comes from. And it means judgment or condemnation or hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is when we say one thing and do another. And so this is what Jesus and James are warning about, us about. Just speak the truth in a plain, simple manner and then do it. And these guys, they just got very... Confused. The, the interesting thing is they developed classes of swearing. How about that? And, and uh, <laughs> they would say, um, when you swear by the temple, it's meaningless. But when you swear by the gold of the temple, that's a binding oath. You've got to keep that one. Hmm? When you swear by the altar, it means nothing. But where, that's the altar where the sacrifice for sin was put. But when you swear by the sacrifice or the gift, that's a binding oath. Can you see what rubbish this is? And this is invented by the scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because they, they were in the habit of swearing these oaths. But they were also, I think, at some level aware of the fact they're not keeping them. So they would say, well, for these other ones, we don't have to worry too much about those ones. I don't know if you crazy oaths as a kid. Um, I remember some of them, and uh, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. <laughs> and then, and, and I mean you're promising your friend you're going to do something, and when, they, when you let him down and you don't do it and you get called to account, you say, oh, but I had my fingers crossed, so it's next. <laughs> you do that? <laughs> or something like that. And I was thinking about that. Um, I don't know if I remember those properly, but uh, Luke had those in his notes. I'm, hmm, that's an interesting one. So especially the stick the needle in my eye. I <laughs> don't want to be doing that, thanks. Um, just so interesting that these little four or five-year-olds, they can learn to swear four-letter words, but they can also learn to swear oaths without understanding what they're doing. And how cheap is that oath? Because we know we're not going to keep it. Four, four and five-year-old. Crazy. So, uh, how many of us have carried that idea from childhood that some of us are really serious and others are not that important? We've got them nixed. 
And the truth is, what Jesus is saying, what James is saying, is, is our words are important and our words are countercultural. And that's where this has its real impact. So uh, I'm, I'm not wanting to lay a heavy law on you. Don't swear oaths. What I'm wanting to say is let our words be a testimony to this lost and confused community we live in, which is in a world that is in total chaos and confusion. Can you see what James is saying? It, it is not a negative thing. This is a, an encouragement to us. We who are born again by the blood of Jesus, we who have the Holy Spirit in us, we, above all, should be able to speak words of life, truth, encouragement. So the underlying issue here is that uh, God is the author of oath-swearing, and he's the one that does it perfectly. We should just stick to saying yes or no. Okay, these, these oaths that God makes, they are serious, and they're usually associated with covenant-making. And uh, you can have a covenant between two people, but most of the covenants that we read about in Scripture are between God and man. And he's the one that initiates, and he's the one that empowers them. Um, he made a number of covenants. Also, some of his prophetic promises are backed up by his oath. So we know God's going to fulfill his word anyway. But when he wants us to understand the great seriousness of the particular issue he's dealing with, he will swear an oath to us so that we know your word is reliable. So he emphasizes, for our sake, not to make himself remember, which is, I think, why we do it, or to convince other people that I really am reliable when actually I'm not. He is always reliable. So some of the things God said, some of the covenants he made, when he spoke to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden, and he, and he, he made that promise, from the seed of the woman will come the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. He was talking about a man that would be descended from Eve who would bruise the serpent's head. And we know that is talking about Jesus. And that was his first covenant in the garden with us. He spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob one, one time after another, same oath. I'm going to give you this land to you and your descendants and you will be a chosen people for me, a generation of kings and priests, a nation of kings and priests. And why did he do that? Because he said, from, from you, from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, will come a Messiah, a Savior of this world. So he saw this oath to these people, giving them all these benefits but saying there's a huge responsibility on you from you is going to come the messiah and i'm always fascinated by the amount of airtime and the amount of trouble so airtime on the news and the amount of trouble reported about israel just keeps coming at us i mean there's hardly a day that goes by without something being reported about israel and you think why You've ever been there? It's a tiny little scrap of land. I mean, it's not big, much bigger than the Palencia. Um, just a little bit, but it, it really is a small place. Um, and yet, there's, there's been this historical battle that just goes on and on and on. 
Why? Because God made an oath to these people thousands of years ago because that's where he was going to send the Messiah. That was where he was going to die on the mountain of God. And that's where he is coming back. And that's why Satan hates that country. And that's why there are so many enemies all around. But because God has sworn an oath, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, they're standing firm. Amazing. And just the regathering of Israel is incredible. And it continues through this Ukraine war. Isn't it amazing? Every time there's a war somewhere else, you get more Jews in Israel. And God, I'm not saying God causes the wars, but he uses man's stupidity to bring his devices to pass. Okay, let's go to the next one. I want to actually read these verses here because it's just so lovely. This is a promise to God. This is an oath from him. This is God speaking to us. This is his yes and his no, but it's, it's backed up by an oath. And his word is always reliable, and we can trust it. And we shouldn't mess in these areas. Um, the best we can do is speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and uh, speak his word. Isaiah 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of, the da of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's an oath there. I'm going to do it, God says. And when you think about all the problems between there, time of Isaiah, 700 odd years before the time of Christ, and the actual coming of Christ where the first part of this is fulfilled, man, there was a lot of trouble in Israel. The nation was divided. First one half, then the other half went into captivity. One came back, the other one got scattered. Just... So much confusion, but God kept his plan going. He uses a heathen king to bring the Jews back from Babylon so that the temple can be rebuilt, so that the Messiah can be brought as a baby and presented to the Father in dedication and thanksgiving. You knew that's why the temple was built, don't you? It had one purpose only. <laughs> they thought it was for selling doves and sheep. God had it there so that his son, the Messiah, could come and enter the temple and sort it out a bit, throw over the tables and get the trading removed. Isn't it wonderful? God's words, God's oath can be trusted. Okay, let's think about a few more of God's words concerning Jesus. And uh, I want to go to John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 10 to 17. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow. Imagine you are not a believer, and you read this for the first time. What is this Word? And what is this Word with God, and what is this Word that is God? I mean, this makes no sense at all until you understand that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. It's one of His names. And He was there in the beginning. 
God spoke the word and, the, and the, everything, whole creation came into being. Jesus, the word of God was there in the beginning and he is God. Everything in this world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, the ones he'd made these oaths to, and his own did not receive him. They crucified him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We, when we accept Jesus as Savior, when we ask him to forgive our sins, Jesus says you must be born again. And when that happens, we become God's children. Now, going back to Auntie Peggy's crash, <laughs> as God's children, we are walking this earth. And people either see our Heavenly Father in us, or they don't. And if you're like me, there are probably some situations when they do, and others when it doesn't happen. And that's why I was struggling with this this week. I thought, wow, there's lots of gaps still. God is still working in all of us. But what he's wanting is for us as those who have been called to be sons and daughters of God, who've been born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When we're born again, we're born of God. He becomes our father. We become his children. And he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can go everywhere and proclaim the gospel. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so that the gospel could be proclaimed through us. And that happens when we speak, but it also happens when man, we speak all sorts of stuff. Not just when we're preaching from the Bible, but we can be speaking about all sorts of other things. And Jesus is either carried forth in our language or he isn't. So, if God dropped you off at Auntie Peggy's crash this morning, what language would the other kids hear you speaking? Can you see the simple little illustration about children actually applies to us? That God has dropped us off in this place. And uh, those kids in Auntie Piggy's crash, a lot of them weren't Christians. A lot of them came from tough families. And they reflected the place where they came from. And that same analogy applies to us. Carrying on with John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Just say yes or no. Speak the truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, this is Jesus' fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, grace and truth, truth. This keeps on coming in this first chapter of John. And, and as I did with James, where I just introduced the verse one or two words at a time, John does the same thing. In the beginning was the Word. What's he talking about? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? And then the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Ah, talking about a man. He's talking about Jesus. Okay, so God is the one 
who promised a Savior by oath, and he fulfilled that promise in Jesus. That was a covenant oath. We read about it in Isaiah 9. God promised that he would send his son Jesus, and I'm so glad God is faithful and he keeps his word. So there are these two aspects to this message today and the two aspects that Jesus speaks about, that James spoke about. And the one is that God's word is totally reliable. When he speaks with an oath, he's not doing it to remind himself to keep his word. He's doing it so that we will know that he will do it. That's true of all of his words, but there are these especially covenant and prophetic words that God speaks that he's kind of saying, hello, I know you're reading and you've had a, a bad night, but this one is an oath. Take note, because this is for you. This is me providing for you. This is me in charge of this whole world, this whole universe. Don't worry. Have faith. I'm in charge. You're okay in my hands. <clears throat> so that's the one aspect. The other one is that we need to be aware of the fact that we are the children of this Heavenly Father. And that when we speak, we should not speak by an oath because we cannot possibly carry, out, carry them all out. We will slip up. Rather, just say yes or no. This is a, is a covenant oath. And many of the covenant oaths were accompanied by the shedding of blood. Remember with, when Abraham, God... Uh, got him to cut all these animals in half, and then there was this fiery furnace that came and walked in the midst, and God cut covenant with Abraham, and he walked through the middle of it. This was a serious moment, and God is he's very serious about his, his oath-making and about his covenants that he makes with us. And those of us who believe, he's given us a wonderful promise that we are given eternal life, everlasting life, and we become his sons and daughters. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, it speaks about us being sealed by the Holy Spirit into the family and into the kingdom of God. And it's, it's the same kind of um, language that we are sealed because he, God has made an oath. He has sent his Holy Spirit as a gift to us. Uh, we read about that in Acts chapter 1. And it's interesting, in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples, they want to know, when is the kingdom going to come? When are you going to set up your rule in Jerusalem? Because they knew, knew about those oaths as well. And they said, when's it going to happen? He said, don't you worry about that, but you wait here until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. See, God promised to send the Holy Spirit to his church to empower us so that we can live the kind of lives that Jesus would want us to live. This is why James says, above all, when he begins to speak about this particular verse, is this verse is so important. It's more important than anything else I've told you because it's about God's swearing covenant oaths to you. And all the other stuff I've been teaching you uh, I've been trying to guide you. This is James speaking, not me. Um, I've been trying to guide you to more wisdom, to understanding how to, how to fight the enemy, how to uh, use your prosperity generously, etc., etc. All of these wonderful words of advice and wisdom, this is the word of God. But this one, this verse is talking about God's oath. 
This is really, really important is what James is saying. He's marking it with a highlight. He's saying, people, listen, above all else that I've spoken to you, take note of this verse. Okay. There's something interesting about God's covenants. And this is my last kind of thought. And that is that when, when Abraham, if you remember that story, when, when, the, when this flaming furnace, which is actually the presence of God going between these animals that, that were there, Abraham put the animals in place, and what happened? The vultures came down. And he had to stay awake and chase the vultures away. There was a battle going on to try and stop Abraham being blessed by this oath, this covenant. And you'll find that again and again. Adam and Eve, it was in the middle of sin and failure and conflict. Satan was present trying to unsettle this whole thing. And when, when Peter thought he could in his own strength say, these others may, they may desert you, but I'll never desert you. And he swore with an oath. It's the only time one of the early church leaders used an oath. Otherwise, they let their yes be yes and their no, no. And this was before Peter received the Holy Spirit. Um, and we have the benefit of being after the coming of the Holy Spirit. But after that, there's no record of them ever using an oath. So they believed in Jesus' teaching, which James is emphasizing. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And let God do the covenant making and the oath swearing. And when he does, there will be a battle. When you get born again, there is a battle because that is the new covenant. I don't know how easy it was for any of you. Some of you would have been brought up in a Christian background. It would have been quite easy, but for some, quite difficult, quite a long battle. It took me months after I'd been challenged by the gospel to actually make that decision. There's a battle that rages. Satan does not want you to get saved. He doesn't want you born again. And if you do, he definitely doesn't want you to receive the Holy Spirit and to be sanctified and to go forward and become a witness. And if Satan doesn't want it, you should take note because that means that's exactly what God does want. He is the opposite one. He is the enemy of our souls, Satan. God is the one who wants to empower us. So there's a battle that goes on. And I would encourage you to stand strong in that battle. I want to encourage you about the, the big yeses and no's that we take. If you think about it, the first battle in the Garden of Eden, what happened as a result? There was a, a, a wedge between Adam and Eve. They began to accuse each other and then the serpent. Their marriage, their coming together was under attack. And that is true of marriages in the world today more than ever before. But just think about it. Before God and before this congregation, I, Peter Jenkins, take you, Vivian Ogden, to be my lawful wedded wife. That's a strong statement. That's pretty close to an oath, a vow. It's really, really important. And you can tell from the statistics that our community, our generation, does not think marriage is important. And where that's inside and outside of the church. Big condemnation to everyone who's been through a divorce. No. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you've been through those things, you will know there's been a serious negative effect in your life and in your family. But it's not the end of your life. It's not the end of the world. God still wants you to be 
born again, to, to have your marriage um, enlivened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So whatever it is, the, the, the things we say, the contracts we sign in business, um, some of those are pretty close to an oath. And we need to make sure we deliver. So just uh, kind of something to go away with and think about. On the one hand, God's oaths are totally reliable and we can just walk and bask in the certainty that he's going to bring it all to pass. We don't need to worry about the war in Ukraine, apart from the horrible things it's doing to people. But in terms of upsetting God's plan for eternity, it doesn't touch that at all. And then the other thing is that we need to learn from the scribes and the Pharisees that there is no such thing as an unbinding oath. Oaths are serious. They're God's business, and we should try and avoid them and just say yes or no. Amen.